coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Uh, an unprecedented day and an historic day. Uh, uncharted waters. Uh, I had somebody correct me about this uh, on Twitter a few days ago. It's not uncharted. Uncharted. Not not that I think I said it. I think somebody just clarified on Twitter that it, we are in uncharted territory, not uncharted. Hi, uh, my name is Ron. Thanks for joining us on the Ron Show for what is again an historic day, and uh, here to join us right off the bat. Let's just get to talking about what's going on in New York City. We uh, have uh, from Media Matters for America their research director Craig Harrington joining us. Craig, how are you? Yeah, I am. I'm wonderful today. In Trump adjusted terms, the sun is shining. Uh, the, the sun is shining, and the skies are bright. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting day to watch the news for a living. I don't know if this is like your Super Bowl Sunday or it's like wedding day, and uh, you guys at Media Matters are the bride in white with a handsome groom coming down the aisle. Which is it? You know, it the way we've prepared for this day is uh, n- not necessarily Super Bowl Sunday, but um, somewhat how we prepare for Election Day. You know, mm. we have sort of an all hands approach. We have a team that was uh, that was triaged to be specifically assigned to uh, to this evening because, you know, of course, for those of you who um, who might have been watching today, Trump's uh, Trump's processing in New York City is only part of the media spectacle. There's also a primetime speech that he plans to give sometime between 8 and 11 p.m. Um, so long as there's not a, a gag order slapped on him by the judge in this case. Um, and so we'll see we'll see what how this news develops and how it how it proceeds. Um, but the arraignment it, itself in New York City, um, the big media spectacle, the helicopters, that's not the whole story. It will continue for several hours and we'll be here for the whole thing. So that being said, what are you guys able to do from a coverage standpoint as far as the live stuff goes? Do you, do you YouTube live things? Do you handle things on social media? How does that work for you guys exactly? Yeah, so we have a comprehensive approach to responding to this. We have teams that are tasked to, to flag what is happening in real time on social media for public consumption. We also have research staff who are collecting, um, compiling, and curating examples of good and bad coverage from mainstream and right-wing media outlets alike. Um, from cable and broadcast and from online. And that's all happening in real time on the back end, as we're also sort of processing things together to put onto the website, um, which is, you know, mediamatters.org, where we publish our research for public consumption. Um, and it's also not the only big news story today. Uh, you know, yeah. there's a there's a Chicago mayor's race where their where their uh, election is being held today. And of course there's a Wisconsin Supreme Court race where the election is being held today and which may or may not kind of decide whether or not Wisconsin gets to have a democracy. So Trump is hogging a lot of the limelight, uh, but there are other big stories and big media, uh, big and important media stories that we're also tackling simultaneously. So did you guys pick up some extra help today? I mean, this is, it's almost like, uh, <laughs> again, it's like Super Bowl Sunday and you're running a Buffalo Wild Wings. You need some extra servers, don't you? We have a, we have a very wonderful staff and there's a reason that, uh, that a big organization like Media Matters exists to tackle these challenges. We fortunately have, um, you know, on our research division alone, you know, decades of experience tackling this, um, tackling this work. So we'll be able to handle it, but people are definitely going to be receiving some well-earned days off, uh, later this week and next week. All right. So catch us up. What have we learned so far that we may not have known before the sun rose this morning? Sure. So the Cliff Notes version is um, that overnight we saw uh, the first reporting of uh, some of the details of the indictment itself. And so Yahoo News reporter um, 
a Yahoo News investigative reporter unveiled that there would not be a mugshot, which a lot of people um, who are Trump opponents and allies alike were uh, were eagerly awaiting. There will not be a mugshot produced today, um, as it's not required in in the state of New York. Um, and some of the details of the indictment also leaked, uh, outlining that the Trump case is 33 class E felonies. Now there's a classification system in the felony hierarchy. Class A is the most dire offenses. Class E is not the lowest level of felony, but it is, it's one of the offenses that has just different requirements for minimum sentencing and minimum fines and penalties. But the accumulation of these 33 of them is still incredibly, uh, incredibly severe. This is a very serious case. Um, and it's important to remember when we were reflecting on the new, the newest details that we have about the Trump case is one of the co-conspirators um, in the case that Donald Trump is facing right now in Manhattan has already gone to prison, yep. spent over a year in federal prison, and paid, I believe, over a million dollars in restitution and fines. That is former Trump attorney and fixer Michael Cohen. Uh, Donald Trump has been from day one an unindicted co-conspirator in Michael Cohen's case. Michael Cohen, as part of a plea bargain, provided state's evidence um, that could be turned against Donald Trump. And that we, it seems that that is what we are seeing playing out now. Um, but this is a very serious felony case where someone has already gone to jail and paid a million dollars in fines. Now the question is if both conspirators in the, in the conspiracy to you know, defraud the government and defraud the tax system, um, which is what this really boils down to, the question we, we now will find out is if they'll both be punished or if only one will have been punished. And and to be clear, if Donald Trump does go to prison, we get mugshots. Then I believe that's right. I mean, we we get more than that. There there's a certain sort of guarantee once you are in actual criminal processing. Um, you don't necessarily need a mugshot in the state of New York, which I didn't actually learn until overnight um, when the news broke. When the news broke, there wouldn't be one. Um, but uh, but we'll see we'll see how that develops. Well, yeah, but when you go to prison, I do. I mean, you get fingerprints and you get the mugs, you get the cavity shirts. We don't need to know about that. Yes. Uh, we you get a lot the of only things. The question is if that will leak. Yeah, the yeah. only question is if that stuff will leak. Um, and it seems to be in this case, Alvin Bragg, the the <laughs> quite embattled Manhattan District Attorney. Um, it seems that with some of the leaks in the process leading up to this um, this arraignment day that has now become a national spectacle, they actually were concerned. That the um, that the mugshot of Trump would leak and become a kind of cause celeb, mm-hmm. either either of opponents or of his supporters, they kind of didn't want to give him <laughs> what Fox has been hyping as like the next Che Guevara T-shirt. Yeah, it seems like it seems like the Manhattan District Attorney was not that interested in being party to that, and so they just decided to nix the mugshot entirely. Yeah. However, we do live in an era of artificial intelligence. There will definitely be mugshots circulating on your social <laughs> media feeds. And they're almost certainly going to be fake. It's again, it's just a grand spectacle. But uh, we were talking off the air, and, and I, I felt bad that I, I, I missed some of the, the the hubbub early this afternoon. I chose to go get some lunch and grab some groceries, and then I realized, oh wait, there'll be others. I mean, this is just the first of many indictments that we anticipate that Donald Trump will have to deal with. Here in Atlanta, we've got uh, District Attorney Fonnie Willis. If the state government will stay out of her way, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ready to uh, unleash her her round uh, her her, uh, her assault here pretty soon, I would imagine. Yeah. And according to the reports that we've seen and, you know, Media Matters is only privy to as much as been pu- as, as has been publicly reported. Um, but it believe, we believe that the, the grand jury that was impaneled in the case in, um, in Georgia uh, has already returned a recommendation to indict. And the only question was what the timeline would be. And if that, of course, if that rumor is true. Um, and so if that 
is the case and there is a recommendation to move forward with an indictment in Georgia, um, that will be a second indictment. And Trump is, of course, also party to multiple um, criminal uh, investigations and potential uh, conspiracy investigations with regard to both his um, his theft of class classified documents from the White House after his presidency ended, and of course, his involvement in the January 6, 2021 insurrection, where 140 police officers were assaulted by, by a mob who attempted to, frankly, overthrow the government. Um, a lot of people, hundreds of people, almost 800 conspirators or, or participants in January 6th have already been, um, have already been indicted. Um, uh, hundreds of them have pleaded guilty and, and have already begun serving their time or, or paying their restitution. And joined a prison choir, right? Did they not join a prison choir of some sort? <laughs> Yes, there is a there is actually a, a, a prison chorus of January sixth defendants who are who remain pro Trump despite being sort of trapped uh, currently in our judicial system. Going to take a quick break. Back with Craig Harrington, Media Matters for America Research Director, covering all things Donald Trump today. This is the Ron Show on Arraignment Tuesday. We're on with Craig Harrington, a Research Director at Media Matters for America. A headline that caught my eye on your side today. Fox tests a new conspiracy theory. Donald Trump's indictment is a trick by Democrats to get Republicans to nominate him. Um, they're on to us. This has been a fascinating development, <laughs> and it's something it's something that my one of my senior researchers, Eric Kleefeld, he gets all of the credit for finding this and for running it to ground. So to be clear, Fox is defending Donald Trump to the hilt. They are at the barricades. They are ready to maybe actually fight like not figuratively fight, but to literally fight on his behalf. Um, they are organizing street protests. They have been hyping Marjorie Taylor Greene's event in, in central, um, central Manhattan today. Um, but there is a very clear uh, delineation of a trial balloon conspiracy theory. What Fox is worried about is if their viewers or if their funders decide that they're no longer going to support an indicted president, they need to create a permission structure, an off-ramp, allowing those people to leave, uh, to leave Trump's camp and to join someone else. Presumably, Fox News' second choice is Ron DeSantis. He seems to be the one that they are courting. They are very Trump-aligned, mm -hmm. but DeSantis curious. And so beginning on March 30th, um, we started to see bubbling up this narrative from Fox News, from the New York Post, which is also owned by the same um, conservative Murdoch family, from a, a handful of other outlets, this conversation that the indictment would um, would strengthen Trump's case in the primary, but, and this is crucial, it would be guaranteed to deliver him the primary victory and a general election loss. And so beginning on the 30th of March and running all the way through until yesterday, Fox has been airing at least once per day on both Fox News and Fox Business um, one segment where they have a conversation about whether or not this indictment is going to guarantee that Trump wins the nomination, but also guarantee that he has too much baggage to be reelected in 2024, which Fox obviously does not want. And it seems to be that they're trying to give this theory oxygen. They're trying to give it airtime, but they're trying to give it a plausible deniability. Fox isn't advocating this. Mm -hmm. They're saying that they're saying that donors are telling them this. They're saying that Democrats want this. They're saying that this is a conspiracy that Democrats are leading. Alvin Bragg used political jujitsu to indict Donald Trump, to harm him in the general election, but also to guarantee that Republicans would rally around him and that Republicans would adopt as their standard bearer a, um, a basically a, a candidate who is crippled in the general election. 
there's no proof of this at all. It's it's a totally outrageous conspiracy theory. Alvin Bragg is not running the Democratic Party. Alvin Bragg is not um, is not leading a political persecution. This is this is a felony charge that Donald Trump has been a co-conspirator on since 2019. Um, it's just finally now coming home to roost because he's not the president anymore. He's a civilian like you or I, and he's subject to the same judicial system that we all face. Um, frankly, I don't really believe that. I think he's going to get some preferential treatment. But the idea is that we're all equal under the law, and we will see if that is true for Donald Trump. Um, but Fox wants to know that if enough people catch on to this, they've built an off-ramp so that people can go to DeSantis or to go to, go to someone else in the 2024 primary. Um, but it's not going to work. What we've already seen from polling in the last few weeks is that it is true. There is a rallying around the flag effect from this indictment. Trump was already in the catbird seat. He was already by far the primary leader ahead of the still undeclared candidacy of Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis' still undeclared candidacy basically collapsed over the past three weeks. Right. Um, based on just basic opposition research and media scrutiny, his he may have already abandoned his ambitions for 2024. Trump may have already sealed this up before the indictment was announced, um, before we ever heard any reporting of this. Uh, but Fox really, Fox wants to think that Democrats are both feckless and also, you know, leading the globalist cabal conspiracy to to undermine American democracy. I mean, that's that's what confuses me. I can't keep up. Either it's a political hit job or we're assisting him, and it can't be both. And the the, the thing that makes my head scratch is uh, the, the Nikki Haley's, the Ron DeSantis's, the, uh, uh, the, the Mike Pompeo's, uh, Mike, everybody went to Twitter as soon as he was indicted to rally to support mm-hmm. him. I mean, we've given, I feel like, I feel like the, the 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 driver who keeps pointing to my passenger, you know, my my, my ride buddy. Hey, uh, you said you needed to pee, and, and we're we're coming up on an off ramp. Do you want to get off here? No. Well, okay, but you, you best not piss my seat. And then you get to the next off ramp, and you're like, you needed to pee, right? No, no, no. I I can. Wait. We keep giving them off ramps, and they're not taking them. Yeah, I mean. This is something that uh, I believe the first person to make a really good public point of this was MSNBC primetime host Chris Hayes, mm. who was pointing out when Donald Trump first began to be implied in the criminal activity and conspiracy that we we know there was a conspiracy behind January 6th, because how else do you get tens of thousands of people all in one place at one time to, to besiege the Capitol? We know there was some organization behind it. Mm-hmm. And what Republicans were claiming, what Republicans were claiming when the January 6th committee was first impaneled and first began its investigation to find out what what role Trump had in the January 6th, uh, 2021 insurrection, every Republican, except for two, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, to a person, to a man and to a woman, Republicans came out and said, this was a political hit job. This was a persecution. This was um, this was an unjust investigation of, an, of a completely innocent president. They were defending they were defending Donald Trump when they didn't know any any details of the crimes he was potentially implicated in. And that was true about this Manhattan district attorney case. That is true in the case in Georgia. It's also true in the document scandal where Trump um, seems to have, well, we can use, not let's not use stolen, and let's say he misappropriated the documents um, on his way out of the White House um, in January, 2021. Republicans have always aligned themselves behind Donald Trump claiming that he is innocent of all charges before knowing fact one of what those charges were or what the evidence was against him. And it's always blown up in their face. Um, and I suspect we'll continue to see that 
But that doesn't mean that they are going to change. And that doesn't mean that Fox News is going to change. Um, they've made the bed. Well, and it, as they fight Dominion voting in the courtrooms, we've seen the links that they're willing to go to to breathlessly defend him publicly while even behind the scenes cracking jokes about his his handlers and his spokespeople uh, you know, in, in the undercurrent. It, it's, and this is all public knowledge, and yet Fox keeps drawing the viewers. They keep winning the ratings battle. It's, it's, yeah. it's, just, it's mystifying. It's, it's creepy almost. It's very cult-like. And one of the things that you just touched on, you know, in the past few days, we've seen some, um, we've seen a, the judge begin a, sort of their, their pre-trial um, justifications and, and rulings in the Dominion case. Um, and what they established as facts, what, what was, what's now been established by a court as a factual premise is that Fox lies, <clears throat> excuse me, Fox lies to its audience. That is their business model. Yeah. They lie to their audience in order to bring them uh, in order to keep them entertained and to bring them in. Um, Fox, their business model is lying to their audience. Now, Media Matters for America, we have a website uh, that you could visit and you could find a, evidence of that lie uh, mm-hmm. or, or of those lies going back now almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, in, but in this case of Donald Trump, you know, it's not just lying about whether or not um, the minimum wage causes job losses. It's not just those simple lies. Uh, this is stuff that undermines the fundamentals of our democracy. This is talking about whether or not um, presidents uh, can overturn elections that they see um, to be faulty. This is a question about whether or not their audience can actually trust the election results that they're participating in, whether or not they should participate at all in, in participatory democracy. These are fundamental issues undermining our civilization. And the question is, how much has Fox kind of dug themselves in um and are they going to finally be held uh held liable uh for for the destruction that they that that business model has wrought you know on on american society and then we've got social media reopening the gates for donald trump to essentially fundraise over the last few days i mean he's made at least seven million dollars just since the indictment meta's uh, allowed him back on and he's taken advantage of that uh he he's allowed back on twitter although i think he's contractually obligated to stick to truth social for a period of time am i right yes he has a he has an exclusive contractual agreement with himself to stay on truth social <laughs> yeah. um and actually <laughs> while he was in the car uh driving down the west side highway in new york um to the manhattan district uh district courthouse where he was going to be arraigned he was posting on truth social and for the first time you kind of got a glimpse of um a real panic uh if, I don't recommend that people spend much time on Truth Social. It's not a very good website, and it's just full of people like Donald Trump. Um, but it says, heading to Lower Manhattan, the courthouse, it seems so surreal. Wow, they're going to arrest me. Can't believe this is happening in America, MAGA. Um, you know, it's full of, like, exclamation points and capitalizations in very Trumpy fashion. But, man, that reads as panic. I think he was, for the first time in a very long time, legitimately afraid. Um, this was the first time where, where he has really faced any consequences. Um, for, frankly, a lifetime of criminal activity. Donald Trump was arrested today. He was arrested um, for his participation in a felony conspiracy. Um, And that conspiracy, which you've heard probably ad nauseum on television, that conspiracy is absolutely serious as a heart attack for you or me or for any of our neighbors. These are felonies. People go to jail for this stuff. Uh, But for Donald Trump, it is just the tip of the iceberg of the potential crimes that he is implicated in, um, far beyond you know the 
the fraudulent business dealings or the um, attempt to subvert, you know, election campaign finance requirements. Well, and to punctuate that, you mentioned that these are classy felonies, 33 of them. Classy felonies include things like carjacking, aggravated battery and robbery. And yes, people do go to prison for those sorts of things. Uh, last thing yeah. I want to ask you about, uh, there was a statement from a former Central Park Five uh, exonerated member, Yusuf Salam, who is or Yusuf Salam, who is running, I think, for a city council seat. Uh, he released a statement that was one word: karma. Yeah, karma. I think that's an appropriate yeah. word to, uh, to to leave this on. Craig Harrington, uh, Media Matters for America Research Director. You guys have a lot going on today. I appreciate you giving me a good bit of time to discuss this on the show, and I look forward to uh, following more of your reporting. Yeah, thank you so much. It was uh, it was wonderful to be with you. All right, lots more to talk about. Marjorie takes a bite out of the Big Apple and what's happening in Tennessee and in Florida and what Dr. Martin Luther King said 55 years ago yesterday. That really is a sad commentary on how far we haven't come in the last 55 years. We'll hear some of that speech and discuss when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or on your preferred podcast platform. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. I take no joy in saying it. Georgia's very own Marjorie Taylor Greene went to the Big Apple today and... Did she take a bite out of the Big Apple, or did the Big Apple take a bite out of her? You decide. Here's kind of how her uh, megaphone rally, did she need the megaphone with that mouth? Her megaphone rally sort of sounded. Protest against the persecution of an innocent man, not just any man. This is the former president of the United States of America. And the government has been weaponized against him. are the party of violence, but I don't recall us ever storming the Capitol because we were mad that Al Gore wasn't <laughs> wasn't voted on uh, by a panel of fake electors. Um, okay. She then did a couple of uh, interviews inside her car, one of which was with the something called the Right Side Broadcasting Network to compare Donald Trump to Nelson Mandela and Jesus. I'm not kidding you. 
Take a listen for yourself. President Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus, Jesus was arrested and murdered by the Roman government. There have been many people throughout history that have been arrested and persecuted by radical, corrupt governments. And it's beginning today in New York City. Um, and I just can't believe it's happening, but I'll always support him. He's done nothing wrong. Incidentally, Representative Jamal Bowman, who is in the House of Representatives with Marjorie Taylor Greene, was right there to holler at her as she got in her motorcade to take off. Now let's talk about the truth. Now let's talk about the truth. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Now let's talk about the truth. Get her out of here. Congressman, what inspired that today? Jamal Bowman. What inspired that today, Congressman? I was born and raised in New York City. This is the city that I love. It's a city focused on hard work and love for all people. We will never accept hateful rhetoric in our city. Any rhetoric that is divisive, any rhetoric that uplifts white supremacy, we are pushing back against that in all its forms. Marjorie Taylor Greene needs to take her ass back to Washington and do something about gun violence, do something about affordable housing, do something about childhood poverty, do something about climate change. Do your freaking job, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You don't need to be in New York City talking that nonsense. Go back to your district. You're not, what are you doing here? You're here for politics. You're here because you want to be VP. You're here for your own fundraising. You're here for your own nonsense. New York City stood up to Marjorie Taylor Greene to get today to let her know, get the hell out of here. Don't open one word in our freaking city. Yeah, okay. Uh, all of that co-signed. Now, I don't know where Marjorie gets her crime data from, the 22% number I'm Googling and can't seem to find this, but I did find that uh, for the month of February, just last month, I'm sorry, month and some change ago, uh, overall index crime compared to February 2022 declined by 5.6%, driving a 0.4% reduction in overall index crime year to date compared to 2022. Now, I'm not calling her a liar. But I'm saying that the 22% number seems to be fake news. Something we didn't get to talk about, by the way, uh, with uh, Craig Harrington at Media Matters, but would have loved to pick his brain about, is the uh, trope that uh, the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, is soft on crime. Now, there are two ways to, to look at that. There is the notion that uh, Bragg's position and that of his base of support is that he's trying to wage a battle against a lack of equity in the criminal justice system. So you're going to see some sentencing changes by eliminating the disparities. Now, th th this, is a, this is a premise that is uh, given that there is an outsized proportion of minorities being sent to prison. We all know that Republicans, in particular the MAGA wing of the GOP, has no appetite for dealing with police or judicial inequities and eliminating the stigmatization or marginalization of people of color. They have no appetite for that. 
So they race to what I call their Luntzian phrasing, Frank Luntz, uh, a wordsmith that the GOP has leaned on for decades now to spin narratives just using different words or phrases to elicit an emotional response. Soft on crime is how they label district attorneys throughout the country trying to deal with racial inequities and disparities in policing and sentencing. And yet, as I just said minutes ago, despite Alvin Bragg dealing with that, which of course is going to see a drop in charging and convictions, and despite all of that, again, for the month of February 2023, the most recent full month of data we have, overall index crime compared to February 2022 declined by 5.6%. Jamal Bowman talked about some of the things that Marjorie Taylor Greene could be doing, however, to help combat crime in major cities. Marjorie Taylor Greene needs to take her ass back to Washington Woo. and do something about gun violence, do something about affordable housing, do something about childhood poverty, do something about climate change. Do your freaking job, Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> Silly congressman, Mr. Bowman, Representative Bowman, that task is too hard for the white nationalist MAGA cult wing of the GOP doing their jobs, handling affordable housing and pretending that they actually care about the disparities and inequities that perpetuate the sort of economies in major cities, in neighborhoods of color that perpetuate crime as a means for survival. Oh, that's, they're not going to do that. They're going to continue to demonize major cities using terms like urban and inner city and soft on crime district attorneys to keep their base turning out, their base being in the suburbs, the exurbs, and the rural portions, the flyover country of the United States, to continue to vote their way without having an actual clue what it's like to live inside a major city and know the sort of struggles that go on that are perpetuated by their hostility to inclusiveness and equity Rinse, lather, repeat. All right, let's uh, let's look local here. It, it is four oh four day, by the way. Uh, four oh four, April fourth. Four oh four are the principal area code for the city of Atlanta. There is no six seven eight on the calendar, no seven seven zero on the calendar. So uh, happy four oh four day. Uh, inside uh, the governor's mansion. Well, no, actually his office, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, his office. Uh, Governor Kemp vetoed his first bill of the session. This was the bill requiring uh, lawmaker approval for college tuition hikes of more than 3%. Interesting. The AJC reporting. Uh, lawmakers tackled uh, the tuition control measure, uh, House Bill number 319. The addition would have required the Georgia Board of Regents, which oversees all 26 public colleges and universities in the states, to get lawmaker approval before raising rates by more than 3% over the prior school year. Brian Kemp, by the way, raised the issue of constitutionality in deciding to veto the measure, saying, the Georgia Constitution makes plain the authority to govern, control, and manage the university system and all system institutions is vested in the Board of Regents. Because of the constitutional reservation of authority in the Board of Regents, the legislation cannot be adopted without the approval of Georgians through exercise of their franchise. He won't be running for re-election because he's term limited. However, if he were running for re-election, would that not be a campaign issue? 
trying to control university and college tuitions, and Brian Kemp decided to take a pass on that, citing the Constitution. Okay, that's fine, but he did put his Johnny Hancock on what is likely to be a highly unconstitutional bill, uh, HB 140, which limited gender-affirming care for anyone under the age of 18. An interesting use of constitutionality when it seems to suit him. Meanwhile, the city of Atlanta smarting a little bit from some uh, poor publicity. Uh, the AJC is reporting that civil rights activist Angela Davis is giving back an award from the city in protest of Atlanta's plans to build a $90 million public safety training center in DeKalb County, a.k.a. Cop City. Uh, Davis came to Atlanta in March to give a keynote address at the 20th annual Walter Rodney Symposium. And while she was here, she was honored with an official proclamation from the Atlanta City Council, something she now regrets accepting. Actually, we have her statement. Let's hear the video. During a recent trip to Atlanta, in order to participate in a symposium in honor of the great Guyanese revolutionary Walter Rodney, I regret that I fail to use that opportunity to add my voice to the rising chorus of demands to stop cop city. So let me do that now. In the first place, if the attempts by the Atlanta police to build the largest police training grounds in the country are successful, this will represent a major setback for the movement for radical democratic futures, not only throughout the US, but globally as well. As a person who has participated in campaigns against prisons and police for far longer than a half century, I want to salute all those who are involved in the Stop Cop City movement. And I want to urge people everywhere to find ways to generate support for them. Atlanta activists are on the front lines of the abolitionist movement at its crucial intersection with movements to save our forests indeed, to save our planet. This is an especially important time to speak out simultaneously against organized police racism and repression and the destruction of our planet. During the last years, and especially in the aftermath of police murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and too many others to mention, a new collective consciousness regarding the structural character of racism has taken shape. Many of us recognize the insistence on old modes of policing as an attempt at a further entrenchment of racial capitalism, promoting authoritarianism, political repression, and fear-mongering around crime as the battle cries of the right. Attacks on progressive school curricula, critical race theory, mm -hmm. Black studies, and queer theory yes. are also a part of this effort. In short, the attempt to build a massive 
militarized police training facility is a dangerous and ominous development that we have to oppose with all our might. And so I want to join those who are standing strong in defense of the forest against the construction of this police training ground. I stand with those who condemn the police killing of Manuel Esteban Paez Teran, the Venezuelan non-binary eco-activist known as Tortuguita. And I want to stand with those who are demanding bail for all of those arrested for attempting to stop COP City. I urge people everywhere to join the campaign to stop COP City. Please go to the website stopcop.city. Again, that's civil rights activist Angela Davis giving back her proclamation from the city of Atlanta that she received just last month on the heels of her opposition to the cop city construction. All right, speaking of civil rights activists, Dr. Martin Luther King gave a speech 55 years ago yesterday, and the message still doesn't seem to be getting received, especially in the Tennessee legislature. Stand by. Welcome back to the Ron Show final segment. It was 55 years ago today that James Earl Ray shot and killed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis, Tennessee, just outside Dr. King's hotel room at the Lorraine Motel. It was 55 years ago yesterday that Dr. King, of course, would have given his last speech. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly somewhere I read of the freedom of speech somewhere I read of the freedom of press somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right and so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you but I want you to know the night 
that we as a people will get to the promised land. How incredible it is that the words he spoke 55 years ago yesterday still don't seem to resonate with politicians who hastily enact drag show bans in Florida and in Tennessee, challenged in court, obviously, or in Tennessee's case, where lawmakers who are in the minority aren't allowed to join in protests that the party of the majority doesn't care to listen to at all in these United States. And as Dr. King said, I read somewhere that those rights exist for all people, do they not? He gave that speech 55 years ago yesterday. 55 years ago today, Walter Cronkite went on the air to give this statement. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Police have issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. Officers also reportedly chased and fired on a radio-equipped car containing two white men. Dr. King was standing on the balcony of a second-floor hotel room tonight when, according to a companion, a shot was fired from across the street. In the friend's words, the bullet exploded in his face. Police, who have been keeping a close watch over the Nobel Peace Prize winner because of Memphis' turbulent racial situation, were on the scene almost immediately. They rushed the 39-year-old Negro leader to a hospital where he died of a bullet wound in the neck. Police said they found a high-powered hunting rifle about a block from the hotel, but it was not immediately identified as the murder weapon. Mayor Henry Loeb has reinstated the dusk-to-dawn curfew he imposed on the city last week when a march led by Dr. King erupted in violence. Governor Buford Ellington has called out 4,000 National Guardsmen. Police report that the murder has touched off sporadic acts of violence in a Negro section of the city. In a nationwide television address, President Johnson expressed the nation's shock. America is shocked and saddened by the brutal slaying tonight of Dr. Martin Luther King. I ask every citizen to reject the blind violence that has struck Dr. King, who lived by nonviolence. I pray that his family can find comfort in the memory of all he tried to do for the land he loved so well. I have just uh, conveyed the sympathy of Ms. Johnson, myself, to his widow, Mrs. King. I know that every American of goodwill joins me in mourning the death of this outstanding leader and in praying for peace and understanding throughout this land. We can achieve nothing by lawlessness and divisiveness among the American people. It's only by joining together and only by working together can we continue to move toward equality and fulfillment for all of our people. I believe that that's the line that today's show, with all that's going on in our headlines, should end on. So with that, I bid you adieu.
Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app and at AmericaOneRadio.com and on all your major podcast platforms. Catch past episodes or today's episodes if you'd like to hear it in its entirety at RonShowATL.com. I would like to close by thanking Mark Harrington with Media Matters for America for joining us in the first half of today's show to discuss the Trump arraignment and all things crazy, fringy, right-wing media. Back tomorrow. See you then.